Hello, everyone, and bienvenidos to a special bonus episode of the Paseo podcast. You'll notice it sounds a bit different than what I normally do. Sometimes with our bonus content, I may be the one interviewing, I may not be the one interviewing. Either way, it's going to be quality stuff. This time around, I sat down with Cook County Assessor Fritz Kegi. Not many people know what the role of the Cook County Assessor is and what their office does. So today, you will hear my one-on-one conversation with Assessor Kegi. We're going to discuss what the Cook County Assessor does, property taxes in Cook County, affordable housing, new ways for seniors to access property tax exemptions, and a lot more. Let's jump into the interview. Everybody and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. We are here in the Puerto Rican Cultural Center located in Paseo Boricua in Chicago, Illinois. I have a very special guest sitting in the guest chair, Fritz Kegi. He is the Cook County Assessor. Fritz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Is it okay? It. Is it okay to call you Fritz? Please call ah, me okay. Fritz. All right, all right. Yeah. What should our guests know about you? Uh, well, I'm a native Chicagoan, grew up in Hyde Park on the south side, uh, graduated from the Chicago Public Schools. I live in Oak Park now. I went to Kenwood Academy. I'm very proud of the school, which is a very special place. I have been a financial professional before I entered this job. So my job, my old job was investing in companies around the world, and the skills that went into that were valuing things and being a steward over the savings that people had given us to invest it. And and. I saw in the Cook County Assessor's job the opportunity to use a lot of those same skills. Uh, I, lo- I love doing the work that you know we're focused on. The Cook County Assessor's office is really about equity. It's about splitting up the property tax levies that are determined by others, not by us, but doing it in a way that represents what the value of everyone's property is without do- in doing it without bias. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really important for doing our job well. So for our listeners that may not be as in tune with state politics, city politics, uh-huh. what is, and you touched on this a little bit, but what is the Cook County Assessor's role? What are the responsibilities that come with that position? Sure. If there's one thing I've learned since I came into this office, it's that hardly anyone understands how our system works. Mm-hmm. And shame on us mm-hmm. um, in, in government for for making it so obscure to people. You know, even people who've been steeped in government and steeped in policy and tax making, even real estate, we find that even they, you know, have been confused about a lot of the things that, uh, about the way the system works. So we realize it's very important to explain how it works. So there are multiple different parts to our property tax system. Um, It starts with our local government bodies, taxing bodies, like the school systems, uh, city governments, village governments, um, the county, um, the forest preserves, they all need money for their budgets. And that's a fixed amount of dollars they need every year. Um, and so it's $14 billion in Cook County. With that $14 billion that needs to be raised through property taxes, how do we do that? And that's where the assessor's office comes in. We, through estimating the value of every property in the county, we're determining each person or property owner's share of that $14 billion that they have to pay. Mm-hmm. And the key is that we... You know, our job is to estimate this accurate, accurately without bias, without favoritism, um, and to examine all the procedures that we use so that we don't engage in that kind of favoritism and so we don't give special opportunities to some at the expense of others. That's really the key to doing our job well. We also perform important community service in applying exemptions, making sure that everyone gets the exemptions that they deserve from their assessed value. Um, We can talk more about the variety of those Mm -hmm. that are out there. They're very important. Um, And so basically we have these two different pieces. You have the levies from the taxing bodies, and then you have the assessments that divide up those levies. So we don't decide how much revenue has to be raised. Actually, our assessments don't change how much money is raised in total. We're the office that's about equitably splitting up that Mm -hmm. amount that has to be raised. I think it's also important to recognize in our property tax system that we need to question some of the structures that have been placed that have made these levies so high um, and you know also happy to talk about that on the show I, as I've come into this work I've seen more and more about how uh, we can solve the issue of regressivity and assessments in our office but there's a massive regressivity to being so dependent on property taxes um, that's a that's an output of many other things that that need fixing 
in our country. You touched on this a bit, but I, I want to just ask you this question specifically. Uh, just going back to the 2018 election, mm -hmm. what made you want to run for this elected office? Well, I saw that the system was creating a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. um, so as I mentioned, this is the office that's about equitably splitting up this bill, but for a variety of reasons, because I think of favoritism, of longstanding procedures that had been in uh, Chicago and Cook County for a long time. We had a system that conferred a lot of favors to insiders, to people who practiced before the office, to the biggest property owners. And the system was so focused on appeals that people whose native language wasn't English hmm. or who didn't feel comfortable challenging assessments that were set by a government body or people who just didn't have the access or the time or the knowledge or navigating all the legal language, they were, so, they were left out. Hmm. And what that did is that created massive disparities mm -hmm. economically so that we found black and brown communities were paying some of the highest rates in the city of Chicago, dramatic tendency to over-assessment. Mm -hmm. If you look at the highest rates paid in property taxes in the county, the top 20 are all majority black communities. Um, wow. So this, these, are, these are massive disparities. Um, and at the same time, it also hurts our political environment if this office is used politically to uh, deliver political favors at the expense of that inequity, mm. right? Um, so economic damage that, that hurts people's pocketbooks, it hurts our economic environment, can cause local-owned businesses, if they are paying over-assessments, to go vacant, to not be able to maintain themselves, hurting the pillar and backbone of community that provides employment. Um, and hurting our reputation, hurting our political environment. So that's what I saw the damage being created. And I love my old work. It was interesting. Uh, I worked with great people. But the thing that was missing is having, having an impact on, um, on, on the larger community I come from here. Um, I, you know, I saw you know, when, I, when I would go to my alumni picnics mm -hmm. at Kenwood Academy, I had uh, classmates who'd moved to the south suburbs and bought their homes 10, 15 years before, and they say, Fritz, I bought my home, I'm underwater still, mm. I don't have any equity left, and yet I have to pay the highest rates in the county, why? Mm. Um, and so I said, and when I looked at this office, I said, you know, this is an office that's basically about being a good steward, mm -hmm. eliminating that favoritism that we're talking about, being good at valuing things, valuing buildings, knowing how to do this to bring the data in. And I thought the combination of those two things I would think would be a great way that I could use what I've got in me to provide, have a bigger impact, provide a bigger service to the community. So what do you feel your administration is doing compared to those that came before you? What do you feel are the, the biggest contrasts? There are, there are a number of differences. When we came in, the first thing we did is we put in uh, an ethics executive order that extends the commitment I made during the campaign not to take any contributions from the lawyers, property tax appeals lawyers and appraisers who practice before the office. That's extremely important to eliminating favoritism and the perception of favoritism mm -hmm. in the office that some people get a special deal just because of who you hire. So just the optics of that alone. Right. Like, that, even that, if you're that trying is very to important. Objective. And we had yeah. to look through all the different right. processes and see what other ways of favoritism have become embedded in the work that we do. Mm -hmm. So we've changed a lot of that. We reduced the number of bites at the apple that people get in appeals within our office. Um, we created a visitor's log so that everyone can see who is visiting me. We publish that each month because we don't want to give people even the sense that there are back, a backroom deals being made. So it's all out in the open. Um, so that's what we did. That we've done on the ethical side. We put in a new audit um, of of all our procedures to. Uh, to, to show everyone, give people more confidence that you know, we've identified risks, problems, and also helps us prioritize our work. We put in new rules so that um, people practicing before our office have to follow higher standards on things like we, we used to allow anyone to file appraisals with our office, even mm -hmm. if they weren't an appraiser. Now, you have to be an appraiser that follows the congressionally mandated standard. Right, yeah. And because when you allow substandard appraisals, it becomes a race to the bottom. And people are using that. They whittle their share of property taxes away. Mm -hmm. and it's pushed on to everyone else. Mm. So uh, that's important. On transparency, we've completely opened our office to so that people can scrutinize how we come up with our numbers. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we learned is that 
our office had never shown people how we arrived at our residential or commercial valuations, and we've flipped the script on that. We took our res we created a new residential model, published it all online. People can see every line of code, and um, they can see it being edited in real time. Uh, they can see our programmers looking at different issues and seeing the things that they're considering in uh, making it better. And it helps having that scrutiny helps uh, us to identify other biases oh, that yeah. we might not have found on the commercial side. We show people how we get to our numbers. We show all the assumptions. We show the sources. Um, and we think that's very important, not only for helping to encourage investment, but also to convince everyone in the county that everyone's paying their fair share and that we're being accountable for when we do it. And we also want to be accountable for when we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And you can only do that by, by showing your numbers. We brought in um, professionals to run this office. So... Uh, we brought in to head our valuations group someone who'd run lending for a major bank that lends in the community, Byline Bank, who's a very widely respected mm -hmm. person. Here we brought in people from assessors' offices around the United States who are really good at what they do. Angelina Romero, sitting next to me here, she came from Malay, uh, which is the only office bigger than ours, which has shown tremendous communications and outreach to its very diverse communities, and we wanted to have mm -hmm. Angelina's skills here. We brought in the assessor of Lake County, assessor of Philadelphia, to work in our office. So we've, we've, we've tried to bring in talent from all different realms. My chief of staff was David Orr's chief of staff, Susan, uh, uh, Sarah Garza Resnick. Um, and um, we're very proud of the professionals that we brought in. And we're using a lot of technology. We're, we're upgrading the technology. Um, was was technology not being utilized to its full capacity? It sounds like it. And well, <laughs> in, in previous in previous leadership, I, I will tell you a story. Yeah, uh, we came into our office uh, in early December 2018. Mm -hmm. We have the third and ninth floor of City Hall. This occupies a whole city block, mm -hmm. so from mm -hmm. Randolph down to Washington, very tall ceilings. We come up to the ninth floor where our analysts sit. And do you remember that scene at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark where they hit the Lost Ark amidst, oh amidst all these boxes? Yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like, man. There were boxes of papers, papers stacked everywhere. up to yeah. the ceiling. Manila folders. Um, and it was just one year's worth of appeals. <laughs> wow. And they were filed in the order that they were received. Mm. So if we wanted to find out, hey, do we have good data on the, uh, on the businesses that are on Paseo Barriqua mm -hmm. or in Humboldt Park here, you know, are, is that data right? We'd have to mm -hmm. actually go into thousands of different boxes to Jeez. find the different appeals. It makes no sense. It clogs right? up the works. Right. Yeah. So we've been hard at work on new technology. A lot of that is coming into place this month. Mm -hmm. We launched a completely new website uh, last Friday. Yeah, took we a look launched, at it. We yeah. launched a new call center. So we could serve people better. We've been getting lots of feedback. The people have been getting lost when they call in. Mm -hmm. um, we started Is the on call center people here in, people in Chicago? People here, yes. Okay. Americans, okay. Uh, Chicagoans, Cook County residents yeah. running it are professionals who are great. It's just a more organized system mm -hmm. so that we can keep track of calls and, mm -hmm. and manage demand and because we have sometimes sure. really peak areas of, of need. Yeah. Um, we started online uh, uh, exemptions last week. So now if you're a new homeowner, you can apply online for that, for the homeowner's exemption. If you're a senior and you want to apply for the senior freeze, now you can do it online, verified by DocuSign. And that's that saved people a lot of paperwork they used to have to do. We have online appeals, which will start next week. And then commercial properties uh, can submit information voluntarily in a new portal that we created. And I can tell it's very important that we have this so that right now it's very expensive. You know, when we do our valuations, the data that we have comes from third parties. Mm -hmm. And that data can be pretty good about downtown, but it misses a lot about what's going on in the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. In the past, the way we'd solve for that is people would give us more information when they appealed our inaccurate assessment. Mm. And we've said, here, let's create a framework so people can submit the data to us beforehand. So we can take that into account, and then that saves people on the uh, costs on appeals. It makes our assessments more accurate at the outset. It makes it more predictable. Then people still retain all their rights to appeal, but we had to create a portal to do that. That's in, that's in place now, too. I always so, find it interesting that a lot of our government offices don't embrace technology at the rate that it sounds like you are doing. I mean, I've had 
my wife and I are property owners too, and not just specifically with property, but just other aspects of how our government runs at the city level and at the state level. Sometimes I feel like I'm in 2002. Yeah. You know it's, I mean? it's, oh, so tell me about it's it. Odd. I mean, we, it's odd. We, uh, we, we've, we've had multiple different instances of that. I mean, there yeah. were, we found out that last year, our township assessors out in the suburbs had to send in their information on appeals by fax. Oh, this fun. is this is yeah. crazy, right? <laughs> the email technology, Gosh. you know, yeah. is well known. You know, another example is mm-hmm. we got passed in the General Assembly automatic renewal of the senior exemption because, and the reason why. So what that meant is that people had to apply every year to recertify that they're still over sixty-five. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because I saw in your press release back in January that Governor Pritzker signed the property tax exemption bill HB nine six one. And your press release was very celebratory, happy about mm-hmm. this. Can you say a bit more? You were just about to go on into that, but uh-huh. what what makes that bill significant? Let's well, start with the senior exemption. Sure. Uh, what it means is that so everyone who's over sixty five has who owns a property has a right to the senior exemption mm-hmm. if that's their primary residence. But you had to recertify that you were still over sixty five each year with a paper filing before. And the reason why was that, People thought that we did not have the technological capabilities at our office to keep track of who had moved or who died, Mm -hmm. even though this is public information. Mm -hmm. What we did is we worked with our partners in the General Assembly um, in the House, Fred Crespo, great uh, representative. Um, This was his initiative. This was his bill. He'd been working on this for over 10 years. Wow. Um, And uh, what we did is we worked with him to talk with um, house leadership to say, we think we can get over these hurdles that you've observed before, because if we write into the bill mandated data exchanges with the Illinois Department of Public Health, which has death information, mm-hmm. with the Social Security Administration, which has death information, with the Recorder of Deeds, which has moving information, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Computers can talk to each other. Dogs and cats yes. can live together. This is a thing. <laughs> and we can save yeah. more than half a million seniors mm-hmm. this terrible uh, imposition. You know, it's hard to deal with paperwork when you're older. You shouldn't yeah. have to go through it with all these things. My dad, who's a very cheap man, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, when my mom died in April of 2018, he forgot to apply for his senior exemption. He ne- ordinarily never would have done that. Um, and you know, I just think of all the other seniors. We've heard a lot since the passage of the bill. We've gotten so many handwritten messages, and uh, you know, many people have been calling for this before. You know, I, you know, I talked to uh, Cook County Treasurer Maria Pappas. You know, she'd been one of the voices calling for this for for, for mm-hmm. several years. Uh, we worked with Fred Crespo, and we got it done. And it means a lot, um, yeah. and we're very happy to be. You know, we're technologically prepared for the requirements that come with this bill now. I saw in your press release that you just touching on that point where some seniors, you know, life gets in the way. Sometimes people forget. I mean, maybe they they don't have the access. So you mentioned your father not filing for that exemption. I saw in your press release that in 2019, 25,000 seniors in Cook County were eligible but did not file for yeah. that exemption. That's, that's, that's a, a huge staggering number, right? Number. This is money yeah. that could be staying in people's pockets. Right. That could be spent on local local businesses, paying down debt, keeping people here, keeping people from not being displaced by mm-hmm. our high property tax levies. It's hugely meaningful. So we're, we're really glad to work with our General Assembly partners to get that passed. Really pleased that the governor signed it. He actually allowed us to implement it one year early. Um, so we're really glad that uh, you know we worked to get that done so it could be immediately uh, impactful this year. I was doing some background on the senior exemption and senior freeze exemption. Definitely want to talk about the senior uh-huh. freeze. But in the description of both of these exemptions, there was a term in there that I'd like our listeners just to learn uh-huh. a bit more about. It was equalized assessed valuation. Yes. Can you break that down for okay. us? Okay. So this is... This is uh, sort of classic government gobbledygook. Yeah. So follow the bouncing ball with me. So we start with uh, market value of a home, okay? And we, we, that's our office, that's what our analysts do. We asked, they're all trying to figure out what's the market value of a home, which might not have transacted for a long time. And we look, the way we do that is we, um, we look at the houses that have transacted in a community and we look at the characteristics of them. Maybe over a three-year period, 10% might have transacted. And then we take the information from those transactions and then apply them to the 90% that didn't. 
Um, so that's where we start. Okay. Then the county has an ordinance which converts market values into assessed values. So on the, on, for homeowners, for residential, assessed values are 10% of market. Um, and for commercial and industrial, is 25% of market. So if you own a, let's just do a $100,000 home. If it's $100,000 in the market, assessed value is $10,000. Okay. Um, then what you do is you, um, there's an equalization process. So uh, in the, there's a state law that says all assessed value uh, in Cook County and every county must be 33% of market. So in Cook right. County, we're combinations of 10s and 25s, so they multiply it up yeah. to get it to 33. Mm. So it, that's around like 2.8 times. So uh, if we do 10,000 times 2.8, uh, that'd be about 28 thousand wow. dollars and then you could sub subtract exemptions after that and that will be your ultimate eav okay. interesting okay that's super helpful for someone like me that uh -huh. is like as a property owner as of uh, a little over a little over a year ago uh -huh. like this is like a whole new world so yeah. i appreciate you breaking that down well, and it's so you know it's so obscure yeah and like yeah. the equalizer doesn't even change the amount of tax you pay it's right. just it just changes a number and so I feel like there's a lot of things that are more confusing than they should mm -hmm. than they should be, but that's the system we have, so we try to break it down for yeah. people. It almost is intentionally confusing, you know. I yeah, don't want to sound I, like think a there, I think there might theorist, be something to that, Joshua. You know, yeah. Seriously, I, I think there might be something to that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, if you don't have family or parents, grandparents that may have owned property, were able to navigate the system. Mm -hmm. That's knowledge that cannot be passed down to the next generation. Right. So the people that have navigated that may have that down like the back of their hand, but well, then you have an entire you have entire communities that just yeah. well, that's this, a big this barrier. Is kind of the, this is one of the crazy things that we have in Cook County in Illinois. So when I got of age to mm -hmm. own a home, I had sort of what a lot of people call the conversation mm. um, where, you know, a parent if the you know a parent if they love somebody or someone you love when you get to be a homeowner, they have this conversation with you and they say, okay, here's how this assessment system works. You get this notice in the mail, it's completely wrong, um, and um, you're a sucker if you don't appeal it. And then there are all these guys who can help you get a good deal and you gotta hire one of them. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're a sucker. And a lot of us who've grown up around here might have heard about this and kind of accept it, mm -hmm. but it's really bad for for all of us, like we should have a right to expect our assessments to be accurate, to be trustworthy, that you don't have to appeal to play along with the system. Mm -hmm. I talked to my peers in the rest of the country and I realized what a grotesque anomaly we've been. Um, so King County, where Seattle is, I talked to the assessor there, John Wilson, and they're kind of panicking because they're going from 3,000 appeals a year to about 5,000 appeals a year. They have about wow. 600,000 parcels. And I'm like, John, we did that amount on Friday. <laughs> and because we yeah, have, in some years, city. we have, yep. uh, you know, up to a third of the parcels appealing. And mm -hmm. most of the country, it's a low single-digit percentage point. And that's just, a, it's just what that means is that is a an outgrowth of massive distrust mm -hmm. in the system. Um, and so we're trying to cure that. We know it takes time. You know, yeah. people have learned a certain kind of behavior. Um, and people have, have rights to do this. So... We just want to make sure that, hey, let's get our numbers more accurate and let's work on building faith in the system and hopefully um, people will, will feel like um, the system's serving them better. Well, I think, yeah, something like this senior exemption seems like one of those steps forward. I mean, just the just the idea of just having an automatic renewal. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that wasn't done before. Yeah, um, I think there was a time where there was automatic renewal, yeah. but then people thought that people were skating by uh, like someone, mm -hmm. like a senior citizen would die and then their child would be living there or someone would buy something from a senior citizen but the senior exemption wouldn't go off. Gotcha. And so there was distrust from that. I think this is how, you know, usually there's a, a good reason why we have something mm -hmm. that someone might have done something in good faith, eventually right. became an absurd thing. Uh, but we have the technology now to address this and we're, yeah. we're really pleased we're, we're moving on to other problems. Well, I'd also imagine that that was, that those instances you mentioned were probably more outliers than the the commonality right i mean yeah. think about how maybe 10 or 20 mm -hmm. um isolated instances 
then created a system that put an imposition on hundreds of thousands of seniors and right. caused tens of thousands to miss out yeah. on the exemptions they deserved. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the second part of this bill, senior mm-hmm. freeze exemption. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain what that is and how does someone qualify for it? Okay, so the senior freeze exemption, what it does is it freezes your assessment in place, assessed value in place, if you are over 65 and if you meet a means test, if your income is under $65,000 a year. Now, because of that means test, we can't automatically renew it every year because people's income changes. Sure. Um, but what we can do is make it easier for people to file it. Mm-hmm. So um, before you had to file a paper form, now uh, you can do through the uh, online exemptions application that we launched last week. You can do online exemption through DocuSign where you give us the documents that are needed um, and you don't have to uh, go to the trouble to send something in because we don't want to create a barrier to this very important exemption. This is the maybe the most valuable exemption a person can get, mm-hmm. especially in the community that we're in right now. That mm-hmm. freeze is really important for keeping people from being displaced um, because if you can free, on a fixed yeah, income. That's right. Yeah. You're on a fixed income. Right. You're you are probably the spinal cord of your community, mm-hmm. right? You're the person who's been there the longest. You're the person who has that knowledge about what's been going on in the community. You're the person who's uh, you know been involved with uh, decades of, of history and connections with people being involved with your church. Like these are the pillars of our community. We don't want people to be displaced by. Mm-hmm. Um, by rising property taxes. So that's why in the General Assembly they they pass uh, the senior freeze and people should take advantage of it. And, and it's more valuable the more prices are increasing in a community. And so that's mm-hmm. why you know I call out um, why it's so valuable here, specifically in Humboldt Park. And we want to make sure, you know, one of the priorities for our team, for our outreach team, our communications team, is making sure that everyone who qualifies for this is applying for it and getting it. If someone doesn't meet the income level requirement for the senior freeze exemption, does that disqualify them for the senior exemption? No. So the Ah, senior exemption applies. Every senior gets it regardless of income. The senior freeze is is one that is means tested. And the reason why is we want to focus on the the folks who are, are in greatest need of it. And you mentioned working with the General Assembly. You were in partnership with them to get this legislation passed. Can you give us some insight? What was that like trying to convince elected officials to make this change? Was it uh-huh. an was it an easy ask, or did you have to do a bit of education to explain to uh-huh. people what the realities? Well, uh, I th- I think were? I think on the automatic renewal of the senior exemption, that everyone recognized there was a, an absurdity that. Um, you had to recertify. You know, it's a well-known biological process that people don't get younger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, wow, if only. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be great. Some Benjamin Button syndromes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what we had to do is that there's sort of been a mythology mm-hmm. that oh, we need to have this because we can't keep track of people who died, or we can't keep track of people moving, or we can't. And what we had to do was show that actually we can keep track of this. And what we had to do was show that we could mandate the data being given to us in the legislation so it happens as part of a process that's mandated under law. Um, once we you know, once we ran the traps and, and convinced House leadership that um, we could do this, uh, we got the opportunity. Fred Crespo, um, who'd been working on this for over 10 years, um, you know, he got the opportunity to, like, to, to get it out. And, and uh, we were really happy to come up with the language for what needed to put in, be put in there. Um, and it took a lot of work from our IT team to be prepared for it. But that's, that's what it had, I think, look, I'm, I'm new at working in Springfield. I got a lot to learn. People are very experienced down there. Um, I think you show popular support, you show determination, you show competence, mm-hmm. and you show a willingness to be constructive um, uh, and, and follow up on your work, and I think that's appreciated. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the assumption I proceed from, and that's how we did it. And we're really glad that there are so many representatives and senators um, who are willing to help us with that and get this done. Looking back at the January 14th press release, you mentioned in there, I'm just going to quote it real quick, skyrocketing property taxes are hurting local seniors, many of whom lived on fixed incomes, and that, quote, 
more than, we mentioned this earlier, more than 25,000 seniors in Cook County did not file for cost-saving exemptions. So we acknowledge that's that's a huge number. Mm-hmm. You're make, your office is making strides to fix that. But in addition to that, many other people in the city of Chicago are kind of feeling the crunch of uh, skyrocketing property taxes, especially residents here in, in Paseo Boricua. Yeah. So I'd like to take the direction into how the skyrocketing property taxes relate to our affordable housing properties. Yes. There was just one example in, in, in my research that mm-hmm. I was doing that Teresa Roldan Apartments, which is just right down the street mm-hmm. from, from our yep. studio, uh, they've seen an increase of 21% in property taxes from 2017 to 2018. And I believe that's every three years that's mm-hmm. assessed. So yep. 2021 is going to be a big year for them. Yes. Um, what's, your, what's your take on the relationship between... Uh, property tax relief and our affordable housing here in in the city. Sure. So this this is very important. Um, there there's several different parts to answering that. Mm-hmm. So first of all, um, uh, just remember that we do only assess one third of the county every year. The state tells us the schedule at which we do this. So our first the first year of my administration doing assessments was the north suburbs last year because that's when that's what was due. Mm-hmm. This year we're doing the west suburbs, south suburbs. We don't get a chance to reassess Chicago until 2021. The assessments that are in place today, the property taxes that people in Chicago are paying today are a reflection of what was done in the previous administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognize that those assessments need to be done better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will get our crack at it in 2021. So let's start there. What what happened in the last reassessment in Chicago was that um, assessments in this neighborhood went up a lot on residential housing, reflecting what happened in the market, and maybe even more so. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, commercial share of assessed value in Chicago did not change, um, which surprises me. I, I will have to take a look at the data when we get to it in 2021. Uh, but I know from my past background that um, there are all sorts of different forces that have driven up the value of downtown commercial pro- property very significantly. It's gone up faster than residential homeowners' values have, yeah. so its share sh- should have increased in 2018. I don't know why it didn't. Mm. We will get to it in 2021 um, when we do our reassessment. We don't predict where. You know, we, we don't have, we have not decided in advance where our assessed values will go. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that in the northern suburbs where we just did our reassessment, um, uh, commercial as a share of assessed value grew from 34% to 44%. Residential declined from 66% to 56%. Mm. So reducing homeowners' wow. share of that property tax levy up there. Um, and the reason why was that um, we fixed regressivity in residential assessments, but the really big ch- the thing that drove the change was that there was pretty massive undervaluation of some kinds of commercial properties mm. up north that may continue. So what does that mean for affordable housing? What does that mean for people mm-hmm. in the neighborhood? Whenever the base is growing, so re- let's remember how property taxes are determined. You have an amount of dollars that have to be raised that's the levy, and is divided across the total value of property in Chicago, okay? Um, if some of that value was under-assessed, as it was up north, mm-hmm. that means that uh, those folks uh, who are you know, uh, paying for the levy, they're probably being paying more than their fair share of that levy, okay? Um, we will be fi- we will we are providing great attention to fixing our commercial assessments with better data. If that results in the same thing that happened up north, that would mean that a, a homeowner here or someone owns uh, affordable housing property, um, the base will be larger, the rate will be lower. Interesting. Okay, okay. so that's that's one. Yeah. Um, two. Uh, I mentioned that the way we do our commercial assessments, and that does include affordable housing, affordable housing is part of commercial, we do it based on third-party data. So okay. there are all these different databases out there, and the data is pretty good for uh, properties in, uh, in downtown where a lot of international investment is. There's lots of data. The data gets more sparse as you go out in the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and conditions in the neighborhoods are so different from downtown. Yep. We should not be assessing 
based on databases that are skewed towards higher valued properties. Mm -hmm. And affordable is especially important because affordable properties have higher costs. Mm -hmm. They're voluntarily accepting lower rent. They might have more trouble collecting. And their value in the market is lower because of all these undertakings that they've made to limit the amount of rent that they collect. It's almost as if, if I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So just mm-hmm. to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, yeah. it's almost like uh, this is gonna, not going to be the best example, but yeah. it's almost like when you're in a class and you take a test, uh-huh. and then the professor's like, "All right, highest like a sliding scale, grading uh-huh. scale," and then there's the one person. Everybody struggles on this, right? It's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, we maybe we got a B or a C," but it's that one person that gets like a hundred percent, and that just affects everybody's grade because you're using that as the marker, right? If that's the only information that you have about yeah. those like really high value high achieving students yeah. and you apply that standard to everyone else, that's that's not appropriate. Right. Like in a class, my yeah, wife's a teacher. Um, it's You can teach a class of 40 kids of really super high achieving students. Mm-hmm. But if you have um, kids who have more needs, mm-hmm. you can't teach a class of 40. You need to teach a class of 20. They're higher costs to, mm-hmm. to teach them appropriately. It's, just, it's just kind of the same thing. Each situation has its own cost. Affordable housing not as profitable mm-hmm. as some of the big luxury buildings downtown. I mean, this this right. makes sense, but we need to have the data to do that. Um, and so I've been, we've been working on a data modernization bill in the General Assembly that would mandate submission of data uh, from larger rent-earning commercial properties so that we could make sure that we're getting assessments right in the commercial realm all over the place. So there's not under-assessment of big buildings, but also so there's not... Uh, uh, overassessment of buildings like affordable housing, where if they just if we just had the data, we could assess it more appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a multifaceted approach on affordable housing. We have created a data portal uh, so that people can voluntarily submit this information. This is explicitly really relevant for affordable housing. We've been w- talking to affordable housing groups to encourage them to submit this information to us before we start assessing it. Lastly, what I'd mention is that when we came in the first few months of our administration, we found that many affordable housing providers um, had applied for a certain uh, class nine um, incentive, which is to help affordable housing, and that many had lost it mm-hmm. through um, some administrative rules that had been put in place by the previous administration. We fixed that. We got a lot of affordable housing providers back on the class nine. We had to work real hard to do that. Can you break down what is the class nine program? So a class nine is it's a incentive that's been around for a long time Mm -hmm. um, in uh, Cook County where whereby uh, you could get your uh, your rate reduced um, if you made certain undertakings to provide affordable housing. Um, And it became more onerous for affordable housing providers to keep up with the paperwork Mm -hmm. uh, to get that incentive. At the same time as through other changes that have been made to the county, they thought there was less need to maintain their incentive. Oh, Um, okay. I see where you're going. Actually, that was a mistake because Mm -hmm. the people who were maintaining that incentive, that was the only way that we knew some of these buildings were still affordable. And if they lost that incentive... We didn't know in some cases um, that those buildings were still affordable. So that's why uh, uh, you know we find that so many of the problems that we have mm-hmm. is ultimately reduced down to inadequate data. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of what happened. So we went out and got lots of folks back on the class nines. And then uh, this additional uh, data portal that we've it's called RPI. To every commercial property owner in Cook County, we've sent out a letter saying, uh, showing people how you can enter data on our pie. Um, is that, so that we o- can... O-U-R pie, like our pie? Uh, or is no, it, it's, okay, it's okay. our, it's a real property income and expense form. I'm, uh, I'm, you, okay. you caught me no, descending into you're government. Uh, <laughs> you're good, you're good. Uh, gobbledygook. So no yes, worries, the no R, but our pie is very important because yeah. it, it allows people a way to voluntarily get data to us before we start assessing it. So you don't have to incur the cost of appealing to fix a problem. Okay. That we have the information before we start the assessment process. Um, and then what the data modernization bill will do in, ge- in the General Assembly, this has been our main legislative initiative that we will continue to work on. Um, it would mandate uh, larger commercial properties submit the RPI, file the RPI every year. Going back to the Class 9 program, 
in my research, I saw that in 2015, there was 1,792 properties. And as mm-hmm. of 2017, that dropped to 389. Yes. So the that, data that's backs a, up. That's exactly what, what happened. And then we yeah. saw that and, and we get, we got hundreds back on mm-hmm. through reaching out to people saying, hey, you, it's going you up. open the window, file this so that we know about it. So it's my understanding that currently affordable housing properties are assessed through factors like the income approach for valuation and the assessed value of the property according to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I'm hearing you correctly, yes, but, right? But, okay. the, but there's there's art in doing that. Break it down. Be, because um, a market, so what you need to do is you don't want to mix fish with fowl. Okay. You don't want to value a, a uh, affordable housing property in the same way that you would a market-based property. Mm-hmm. And so you, we need to separate them into two different streams and then evaluate, well, what does the market tell us how the market is valuing each of these different kinds of property? Um, and so we do use – the commercial market values properties based on the income that they generate. Mm-hmm. That's the way the commercial market works. But affordable housing properties generate income in a very different way from the market value properties. Right. Right. The market value properties can charge whatever rent they want. Mm-hmm. And they can – that reduces their expenses. They pr- have less trouble collecting in some cases. Um, and the market can pay a higher multiple – is willing to pay a higher multiple for that for that um, that ability. Mm-hmm. In, in the case of affordable housing, you you are making undertakings to reduce the amount of rent you charge to limit it to a certain percentage of income. Your expenses may be higher. Mm-hmm. You have to comply with all the regs. Mm-hmm. You have to. Um, you might have more vacancy. Mm-hmm. You might have uh, trouble more uh, trouble maintaining and collecting. And the market may give you a lower multiple of your income because that's a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, so, but we need to treat it separately, assess them in different ways. Um, that's appropriate based on on market data. So that's that's what that's why it's again that's a perfect example of why we need to have enough information about data about building characteristics to do our job well, so that some people are not being over-assessed mm-hmm. and others being under-assessed or vice versa. Sounds like from a lot of affordable housing advocates, at least in this area, that if the property taxes keep rising and they're capped at a certain amount for their affordable housing units, practically, how can you have any longevity in maintaining that that building without it starting to deteriorate a- over time? A- a- absolutely, and, and yeah. that reminds me, there's one other factor that I didn't get a chance to discuss, but it's really important. Um, So I've talked about assessments so far. Remember, there's a whole other side of the picture here, which is levies. Levies are the cost of, it's it's how much, how many dollars have to be raised for property taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the city and the Chicago Public Schools have been raising their levies a lot in the last several years Mm -hmm. because they've had budget deficits. They have to contribute more to their pensions so that they can uphold the promises they made to retirees and to current participants. For a bunch of reasons, the levies have been rising. And so no changes to an assessment system can change that that ugly fact, which Mm -hmm. is there's a lot of money that has to be raised. We have some of the highest property tax levies and rates in the nation. Um, But what I want to emphasize is that that is a choice that is not ordained by God or logic, mm-hmm. okay? This is a choice that our nation has kind of uh, wandered into that requires reexamination mm-hmm. um, because basically in America for a very long time, we've said that well, communities are on their own for paying for their schools, mm-hmm. that the federal government washes its hands of uh, helping to provide for education spending. And in Illinois, we are number 50 in the United States, 50, for state support of uh, local education spending, dead last behind wow. Alabama and Mississippi. Um, so whereas the average school district in the United States might get 25%, or might get 50% of its spending from the state, we're, we're stuck at 25. Wow. And so communities are left to raise money from uh, from whatever values in their community to make up the difference. Mm-hmm. Now in Chicago, we're actually, Chicagoans are fortunate uh, that there's quite a large base to draw upon, that there's downtown. And in Chicago, 
a key for communities is making sure that the money that's raised actually reaches your community. Yep. <laughs> but there are so many yeah. places in the suburbs where it's devastating. Right. It is just absolutely, absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvey, just south of the city, uh, at night they don't turn their streetlights on in some places. Really? Yeah. Um, and oh, they pay the, the highest rates, some of the highest rates in the county. So I mentioned that mm. uh, there are you know, about 130 different municipalities in Cook County. The top 20 are all majority black, and they pay three times the rate of what an average community in, um, in Cook County would pay. And that's like, these are enormous numbers. These are, in Harvey, I invite your listeners to go out and select a home at random mm-hmm. in Harvey, see what property tax as a percentage of the market value is it can be well north of 5% a year, sometimes close to 10%. So imagine over 10 years, you're paying for your house again just in taxes. And and, and no one in Harvey, like no one did anything wrong in Harvey. Mm -hmm. Like the people who live there in Harvey, they didn't do anything wrong. And why should should children who were born in Harvey and families who, who live there and communities like it all over the south suburbs, west suburbs, why should they? That's no way to run a country. So I, I think what really needs to be examined, and we're going to have presidential candidates coming through, the, through Illinois. Um, we need to change the assumptions about how the federal government supports uh, education of our children. Um, LBJ moved the needle on this a little bit. They created something called Title One, and now in Chicago, for example. Um, you know, the, the CPS levy is about $3 billion a year. I mentioned, you know, what mm-hmm. the property tax levy is. The uh, CPS gets about $300 million from the federal government for, for Title I, okay? Several presidential candidates are talking about quadrupling, tripling, massively increasing Title I. Mm-hmm. That would have a terrifically positive effect on, um, on Chicago, on communities that are disadvantaged, but especially those western and south suburbs, which are, which are dying before our eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to hold these presidential candidates accountable for the promises. Whoever people are supporting, mm-hmm. if you're a Democrat, uh, hold people accountable because this is, uh, you know, Illinois is a is actually a giver state. Mm. Uh, for every dollar we pay in taxes. We get less than seventy. We get less than eighty cents back from the federal government. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of other states that get more than what they put in. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we should get more of our piece of the pie is Title One. Mm-hmm. Like so, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. A lot of the candidates have talked about this, but we need to hold their feet to the fire so they deliver on it. Because I can fix our assessment system mm-hmm. to make it less regressive. But it does not change the massive regressivity of depending on property taxes to educate our children. And just bear in mind that two-thirds of property taxes are for schools. So solving that education funding problem, getting other sources of education funding, is the key to reducing property taxes. That's the only way it's going to get done. Now, the fair tax amendment is something that folks are talking about in, in Illinois. Uh, th- this will allow the state of Illinois to get another tool to ma- to raise more revenue so they can share revenue with school districts. The sponsor of our data modernization bill, Will Davis, was also the leader in uh, getting a new education funding formula in the House. And that that's, that is one key route to doing it. Uh, Springfield's got big budgetary problems. Us folks in, in, Chica- in the Chicago area and Cook County we need to hold the feds accountable. That is the single best way to get property taxes down in the aggregate. This I, I'll get I, off my soapbox. No, you're good. You're good. You know, you're you're more than welcome to get on any soapbox. Yeah. I am a fan of getting on my own soapbox. Okay, from time all right. To time. Okay, so, yeah, it's no, a podcast. So we'll yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, there, I have a, a couple more questions to ask yeah. you before we wrap up. But you mentioned the presidential candidates. This is not like an endorsement yeah. question, but yeah. based on your knowledge of what uh, candidates have been promising, is there any particular candidate or candidates that you feel have a strong have presented a strong education plan? Uh-huh. Well. So what I bring, uh, my wife's a teacher, um, so I bring what, you know, what my wife's evaluated on the impact of, mm-hmm. of the classroom and supporting neighborhood schools and uh, supporting best practice. And my perspective is 
what's going to fix our property tax system. Um, so I, I'm a delegate for Elizabeth Warren, um, uh, but I, there are other candidates who have good proposals on this too. But the key is who, whatever people support mm -hmm. uh, on, uh, on, uh, uh, on education and on if people need to hold the candidates accountable. This is going to be a special time for us in Illinois uh, to get people to make promises and hold them to it. Mm -hmm. And no place in the nation has more riding on more federal education funding than we do. I mean, it's a disgrace that our nation has not moved since LBJ did on Title I. Mm -hmm. There's only $14 billion allocated to Title I by the government. Wow. The Trump tax bill, that was a, a trillion dollar said, giveaway. Yeah, yeah, trillions of dollars. Added it to could the make deficit. a massive difference. Mm -hmm. Just if, if we say we tripled Title I funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, so that's our CPS would be would be getting close to a billion from Title One instead of three hundred million. That could make a big reduction in the levy that CPS has to make. Right, big like double digit percentage, um, maybe down a quarter. Even bigger impact in the south suburbs. That would be massively beneficial for educating our kids, um, for building intergenerational wealth. Think about how. Um, you know, we tax one kind of wealth to pay for our education system, but we don't tax other kinds. Like the, mm -hmm. uh, m for most Americans, their only asset is their home. Yep. Okay. The wealthier you get, the less important the home is in your wealth. But we don't tax those other kinds of wealth. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're you're that classmate of mine at Kenwood. You move down to Harvey, um, in the mid '90s. You're wiped out. You, you, you still own your home, but you're underwater. The, the mortgage that you have is worth more than you could get in the market. And, and you, were, you were just trying to get your foothold in the middle class, right? right? But now, not only do you have no net value in your house, you pay more than three times the average rate just for existing in that home. For being, that is a structurally unfair racist system right there. Yeah. Um, and and solve, you know, solving this education funding, it is really important for... Uh, the Chicago area in Cook County. Well, I definitely agree. With, I, I definitely agree with you. I think any candidate, any elected official, can say, "Well, we're going to do X amount of things to to fix this, that, or the other." But it's up to us as as coal as a coalition, as people, yeah. to really speak truth to power mm -hmm. and and make sure that there's actions backed up yeah. mm -hmm. um, behind those words. Um, one last question I had on affordable housing: uh, What are your thoughts on having a cap on the value an affordable housing property can be assessed at? Any perspective on that? Uh, well, the we have to be careful about unintended consequences when it comes to freezing mm -hmm. things. First of all, uh, the devil's in the details sometimes. And what is an affordable housing property? Mm -hmm. uh, because if you cap it, um, some people might try to lump in properties that are not ex exactly affordable, and they get the benefit of a freeze. Mm -hmm. And then that means that uh, an underassessed property. Um, perpetuates itself and other people are hurt as a result. So we have to have really good definitions of what affordable housing property is. Whenever we freeze things, let's say the market value of that affordable housing property has gone up, but we freeze the assessment and not follow it, that means that everyone else pays more. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's a, that's a decision for folks to make. It's a political decision, but it's not my decision. Our decision in our office is, is the standard of equity is what's the market value of things. Now, we, we discriminate between looking at affordable housing in a different way from market value-based housing. But if we freeze things, that, that can create all sorts of unintended consequences. I'll give you an example that's related. Someone, you know, our legislators try to do a really good thing when they increase the size of the homeowners and senior exemption um, a few years ago. But what it did in, in Park Forest and a lot of other south suburbs is that a bunch of homes just fell off the rolls. The exemptions rose so that those homes ended up paying nothing. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else in Park so 15% of the homes in Park Forest fell off the rolls. Everyone else in Park Forest who wasn't a senior, they had to make up the difference. Their property taxes went up 15%. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an example of we got to be careful about unintended consequences when we try to give, a, you know, with good intentions, a benefit to some because it, it usually will come at the expense of everyone else. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think anytime we have these discussions, especially when it has to do with property and taxes, it's not just a Band-Aid fix or, you know, passing this one thing that addresses this one issue. I think all these things are interconnected yeah. and we have to look at these things holistically. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see what your office uh, continues or is able to accomplish to the rest of your tenure. Um, and I would just want to wrap up with, you know, with the remaining time you have on, on your term, what are you looking forward to in the future? We're a little bit more than a year in. My, okay. my term will end December 2022. So uh, what we're doing now is we're reassessing the south suburbs and the western suburbs. Uh, we're trying to get those right. Now, in the south suburbs and western suburbs, we have the fewest number of properties that we have in any triad, but we have sparse data. We have mm-hmm. communities that have been smashed by the housing crisis and have not recovered. We have lots of foreclosures. Some zip codes, the majority of homes are still underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very high tax rates. Um, and so we, we need to make sure, we need to make extra sure that our assessments are taking into account all of these uh, um, really tough conditions down there. So that's, that's what we do this year. And then next year, 2021, we have the Chicago reassessment, which is enormous. It's mm-hmm. the greatest undertaking that we have. With that done, we will have had, we will have reassessed all the county and addressed the regressivity in residential uh, housing assessments. Regressivity, just review, is the more modest your home in every community, the more the higher the rate you tend to pay. That is not Mm -hmm. supposed to happen. We're the office about equity. Like we should, you there should be no higher rate if you're in Humboldt Park if you have a hundred thousand dollar home than a million dollar home than a ten million. It should be the same. That's the way it's supposed to work. And in every community in Cook County, rich or poor, there was a tendency to regressivity. We are trying to solve that. We are fixing that. Um, We want to make sure that we fix any problems with undervaluation or underassessment or overassessment by using better data, better models. That will be done at the end of 2021. Um, Now, our reassessment of Chicago in 2021 will not be felt in people's taxes until second half of 2022. Oh, that's, the, that's one of the biggest challenges of my job, convincing wow. people that we're delivering mm-hmm. on all these changes and commitments that we made uh, because uh, you know in the re-election in March of 2022, it won't have been felt in people's taxes yet. Right. So we are doing everything we can to show that we're delivering on, on providing better service, getting people their exemptions, eliminating favoritism and showing them that great change and reform is coming. We deserve to have the same kind of functional assessment system that they have in the rest of the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I talk to my friends who live out in the East Coast who are steeped in real estate, they don't know who the assessor of New York is, nor should they. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a boring job in most of the country. (laughs) No one sees what, no one has to know anything about the assessor or, you know, I mean, I love being on the podcast, but, you know, in New York, (laughs) it wouldn't occur to anyone to have an assessor on the podcast. Uh, This should be more boring. Mm -hmm. And we deserve to have the same kind of boring, functional assessment system that people can count on being fair Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, uh, you know, making sure that no one's paying more than their fair share here. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to make it more boring, try to bring in better people. We're doing a lot of hiring now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people check on our website, there's all sorts of employment opportunities. We're hiring field people who go out in the neighborhood and monitor uh, construction, make sure the information that we have is accurate. People who are reliable, who like to go around in communities, um, who want a chance to grow, it's a great opportunity. Um, so they can check on our website uh, to do that. Um, and so this is the first time in 10 years that we're flexing that hiring muscle, and we're proud of that. I'm and we have lots of technology coming. I'm glad you mentioned the website. Can you share, just to wrap up, can you share how our listeners can keep up with you, keep up with your office, any websites, social media sure. channels they should be aware uh-huh. of? Sure. So our have? website is cookcountyassessor.com, um, and that it's an all-new website. We're very proud uh, of it, um, and they, you can check all the different functions there. There's a section for uh, learning about your neighborhood, your home, uh, making sure that you have your exemptions. If you don't, you can apply for some of the exemptions online. Um, when, when uh, if an assessment has been sent out to you and you want to appeal, you can appeal it online. Um, there are many other useful things online. Then we have a Twitter feed, uh, assessor cook. 
um, and that people can follow news and uh, what's going on there as well as on our Facebook page, which is Cook County Assessor's Office. Um, and uh, people sh should give us their feedback. You know, we've had, um, we've made great improvements to the website based on the feedback that we got. And the best kind of feedback is the n not the kind of feedback that says, hey, you guys are doing great. The best feedback is, you know, your, your website keeps making mistakes or mm. my phone, mm -hmm. I've been on hold for two hours. Like that's mm. the kind of good feedback that we need that helps us improve. Yeah, helps keep you accountable. Yeah, huh. you bet. All right, Fritz Kagi, Cook County Assessor. Thank you so much for being on the show. We Thanks appreciate for having you me, Joshua. I appreciate it. I'll be back anytime. All right. Okay. You heard that, everybody. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Fritz. Okay. Appreciate Thanks. it. Appreciate you. Thanks. Special thanks to the Cook County Assessor, Fritz Kagi, for coming on the Paseo podcast. If you have any questions or comments on what was discussed, please send them our way. If you want to connect with the podcast, follow us at Paseo Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Visit our website, paseomedia.org. That's P-A-S-E-O media.org. And email us at paseopodcast at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O podcast at gmail.com. I always love reading listener comments and topic suggestions, so keep those coming. 